today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farrakh. Let me see if I can take it into a little bit more of a delicate realm by way of illustration. Is it not the insecure husband who is condescending to his wife, tearing her down so as to lift his insecure self up? God forbid. And I'll tell you straight up, any man that lays his hand on a woman is insecure and emotionally stunted in his growth. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. Insecurity manifests itself in a person in various ways, including being cruel toward others. On the other hand, security is actually a mark of integrity. In today's teaching, Pastor J.D. discusses the three characteristics that mark a person of integrity. Those who find their identity in Christ don't need to bolster their worth by putting others down. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. with part two of his message, Three Marks of Integrity. In order to better understand what Paul is saying here, I think it would be helpful to first provide a bit of the backstory to really understand why Paul is deeming it necessary to defend himself. Paul doesn't always defend himself. My goodness, if he defended himself against every accusation and every attack, the epistles would be full of Paul's defense. He doesn't do that, and wisely so. I've heard it said that if you try to defend yourself all the time, God will let you. (laughs) It's much more better to let God defend you. But there are those times when it is necessary to, and this is one of those cases, to answer those who are falsely accusing you. Paul had fully intended to visit Corinth twice, but he was unable to for a number of reasons, not the least of which, as we're about to see, is that a second visit would have certainly not been edifying. And the reason it wouldn't have been edifying is were he to visit them on his way back from Macedonia a second time, it would have been not good, (laughs) riddled with sorrow. When we get, Lord willing, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to read more details into this in verses 1 through 4. Paul says, But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote, verse 3, this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. You should, Corinth, be bringing me joy. You should be a source of joy, not a source of sorrow. He goes on to say, having confidence in you, all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Wow. This gives us a snapshot into the Apostle Paul. And it's not what you think. 
I think we often picture the Apostle Paul just being this rough, gruff, indifferent, always in a hurry, no time, just a real kind of a unloving guy, and nothing could be further from the truth. I believe Paul cried a lot, which (laughs) encourages my heart. We see him in Acts 20, talking about how he would cry day and night. We see here in 2 Corinthians 2 how he would weep for them. Why? Because of his love for them. Paul was a loving man, and he loved the Corinthian Christians so much, I would venture to say more so than maybe some of the other churches. And the reason I say that is because he spent a year and a half with these people. I believe he led many of them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He knew them personally, and he loved them tremendously. And it's for this reason that they, in fact, broke his heart. I see a heartbroken Apostle Paul here. I really wanted to come to visit you. But I'm not going to visit you if all we're going to do is have conflict. I'm not going to come visit you because it's not going to be a joyous occasion. It's going to be a sorrowful occasion. It's going to be riddled with conflict. What? I'm going to come visit you on my way back from Macedonia, hoping that you're going to send me off to Judea with your blessing, with your love, with your prayers. And instead, I'm going to come and visit you. And what are you going to do? You're going to attack me. You're going to accuse me. Forget it. I'm not coming. I'm going to spare you and myself of that. And that's why. And that's why he deemed it necessary, prudent, to not visit them the second time. These are touching words from the Apostle Paul. And to me it explains why it is that he would make this decision to change his plans and not visit Corinth on his way back. However, in making this decision, it seems that Paul, in a way, created the very thing that he had hoped to avoid, such that he's still falsely accused. He's still attacked unjustly. It's that saying, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And I see the Apostle Paul making a decision Which way do I want to be damned? (laughs) I'm going to be falsely accused either way. If I go, I'm going to be attacked. If I don't go, I'm going to be attacked. Which way am I going to go? Either way, it's six one, half dozen to the other. He's accused of not being a man of his word. He's accused of not following through on his commitment to come and visit them on the way back. He's accused of being a man who again, speaks out of both sides of his mouth. He's accused of being one whose yes is not necessarily yes, and his no is not always no. And this is exactly what Jesus spoke to in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, which is what they would do in that day, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, 
because you cannot make one hair white or black, nor can you make one hair come back. Oh, that's not there. That's, I'm sorry, that's the JDV. (laughs) You'll forgive me. Verse 37, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Isn't it true that when somebody says, I promise, I swear on a stack of Bibles, it's like you have to rely on something else for the assurance of that which should come just by way of your word. We need, as Christians, to be men and women of our word. Our yes absolutely must be yes. And our no must absolutely be no. We have to be known for our integrity. And this sort of ties into the second one in verses 19 through 22. And it's that of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now stay with me on this because this is really fascinating to me. In verse 19, Paul says, Jesus Christ, who was preached among them by Silas, Timothy, and himself, was never yes and no, but always yes. In verse 20, he goes on to say that no matter how many promises God made, they are always yes in Christ, through whom they speak, amen, so be it, is what amen means, to the glory of God. In other words, God's promises are yea and amen. In verses 21 and 22, he says, We stand firm in Christ, who anoints us and guarantees his seal of ownership on us by putting his spirit in us, and here's that word, as an earnest down payment. As we understand an earnest money deposit, it's guaranteeing the final payment, if you please. A couple thoughts here on what Paul is saying, the first of which has to do with God's promises being yea and amen. What's Paul saying here? What Paul is saying is, in effect, like the Jesus he preaches, he himself is a man of his word, and that he can be relied upon and trusted because of that. I suppose one could of the Apostle Paul's life say that the messenger had the same integrity as the message? And this by virtue of the fact that the message has the integrity of the Savior himself, and that is the dock to which Paul anchors his boat of integrity. Perhaps you've heard it said, practice what you preach. I hear that a lot (laughs) at home from my wife and children. (laughs) Or how about sayings like, walk the talk. Your walk needs to match your talk. That's what Paul's saying here. You're accusing me of this? (laughs) Listen, examine my walk. Examine my fruit. My walk matches my talk. I practice what I preach, and I preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm the messenger, and the integrity of the message is consistent in my life as the messenger. And that's what he's doing. And he's right. And the Corinthians are wrong. It's the second thought that I want to take a closer look at. It has to do with what Paul says about 
the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the life of one who possesses this integrity. It's interesting to note that Paul delineates this threefold work of the anointing, the sealing, and the guaranteeing of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. First, the anointing that Paul speaks of carries with it the idea of preparing, equipping, and especially empowering one for service. Let me explain this just briefly. It's the Holy Spirit in us, anointing us, sealing us, guaranteeing us, that empowers us to live lives of integrity. It does not come in and of ourselves. It is not in our own strength. It comes vis-a-vis the indwelling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, in addition to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there's the sealing by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it would have the idea of a signet ring that would seal as a seal of ownership. In other words, the Holy Spirit is that seal of His ownership. We are no longer our own. We have been bought with a price. The earnest money down payment has been made, guaranteeing the final redemption. It is His seal of ownership. And then it's this third one. It's not just the anointing and the sealing, but it's also the guaranteeing by way of the Holy Spirit as the down payment. We refer to this as that earnest money deposit. It is a guarantee. It's non-refundable, if you will, guaranteeing the final purchase, which ultimately takes place at our redemption. Here's where I'm going with this. What characterizes a man or woman of integrity is that there will be this evidence of the filling with the Holy Spirit. Many years ago when I was a young believer, I had a friend of mine who had come to Christ in a really dramatic way. This guy was a towering figure, tall and built and looked mean and rough and tough. And when God got a hold of his life, he just became this little puppy dog. And it was so evident in his life. Maybe you've experienced this, where you have seen outwardly, visibly, the change that comes in a person's life when the Lord gets a hold of them, when the Holy Spirit is indwelling them. You notice the difference because you know it's not them, it's the Holy Spirit in them that possesses them, maybe that's too strong of a word, controls them, directs them, and that is precisely what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. I suppose the opposite is true, in that what characterizes one who has no integrity is there's a conspicuous absence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. And I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not a Spirit-filled life. It's not a spirit-controlled 
life. There's no evidence of any anointing, any filling. They're not living their lives in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Are they saved? Yeah. The Lord knows. The Lord sees the heart. But there's no fruit. There's no maturity. Here's the bottom line. I cannot live a pure and holy life of integrity absent the Holy Spirit indwelling me, anointing me, sealing me, and guaranteeing me for the day of my redemption. Remember not too long ago, I don't see it much anymore, but there will be a sign on a business that will say, under new management. I've always kind of marveled at those signs, because what a smack in the face of the previous management. It's kind of like the old management, the previous owners were so horrible, they ran this thing in the ground, but now it's under new management. Well, that's what it is with us. That's how it is with us. We're under new management. We were running our lives into the ground. But now we're under new management, under new ownership. He owns us. We are no longer our own, but bought with a price. Well, in closing, this brings us to our last mark of integrity in verses 23 and 24, which is this. I'll be secure in the Lord. There's just a a maturity, an emotional maturity, a security. I'm secure in my identity in Jesus Christ. I love what Paul does here in verse 23. He calls God himself as his witness. This is something that my kids imitate me whenever I do. It's God is my witness. This is It just adds a lot more punch to us. God is my witness. They already know what's coming. They're grounded for the rest of their adolescence. You know, it's just as God is my witness. It's never good when it's as God is my witness. <laughs> and that's what Paul is doing here. As God is my witness. <laughs> he even takes it further and says, I even stake my life on it that he made this decision not to visit them on the way back from Macedonia because he wanted to spare them. In verse 24, he says something very interesting. He says, it's not to lord it over their faith, but to work with them, not lord over them, to work with them for their joy because it's by faith that they stand firm You'll forgive the abrupt close, but let me say that to me, one of the greatest characteristics of integrity is that there will be this security. We're not insecure about ourselves in Christ. Is it not, this is how I get there, okay? Is it not those who are insecure that lord it over others? Let me see if I can take it into a little bit more of a delicate realm by way of illustration. Is it not the insecure husband who is condescending to his wife, tearing her down so as to lift his insecure self up? God forbid. And I'll tell you straight up, Any man that lays his hand on a woman, 
is insecure and emotionally stunted in his growth. That is an insecure man, a coward who has to do that in order to bolster himself. That's insecurity. And when you possess integrity, this kind of insecurity will never be found to take up residence in the life of a Christian. You're just secure in the Lord. I know in the ministry, I've talked with pastors. In fact, one recently. So, you know, early on in my ministry, I was really insecure. I had people in my church that I knew could teach the Word better than me. I had people in my church that were much better administrators than me. I had many people in my church that were a lot better looking than me as well, (laughs) and could do, quite frankly, a lot better job than me. And I was always insecure. In fact, whenever I was around them, I felt even more insecure about myself and my abilities and my calling, even questioning whether or not I was called into the ministry because I'm so insecure. I'm so unsure about myself. I really lacked that sanctified confidence in Christ. And he said, the best advice and counsel I ever got was this. If God has called you there, (laughs) your security is not in yourself. Your security is in Him. Your security is in Him. If God is for you, nobody can be against you. Yeah, but it's like, I'm afraid to take a vacation because if I come back, I'm going to find out that I'm no longer the pastor because they took the church over. Wow, that is insecure, isn't it? Listen, (laughs) if God has called you and the Holy Spirit indwells you, you are secure in Jesus Christ. Not a security in your own ability, not a confidence in self. It's a security and a confidence in Him. One last thought. I just thought of this. It's textbook, isn't it? Why does the man who's insecure treat his wife that way? Because he's insecure that he's going to lose her. He's insecure that he's going to lose her. You know what's really interesting? They end up having the very thing that they're trying to keep from happening happen. Because all it takes is for his wife to happen upon a man who is actually caring and she is a sitting duck. And I think you could probably write the next chapter in that book, sadly. Sadly. That's what happens. Here's a man who shows me affection and attention and affirmation, the three A's as they're called. That's all it takes. And he ends up in his insecurity creating the very thing he's trying to avoid. The book of 2 Corinthians has much to teach us, but sadly that's all we have time for in today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Be sure to join us again, though, as Pastor J.D. Farag continues teaching his verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Corinthians. In the meantime, you can find more messages from Pastor J.D. by visiting our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well and receive new messages as soon as they're available. You can also download our mobile app for iPhone and Android, and you'll always have teachings from God's Word right at your fingertips. You'll also want to check out Pastor J.D.'s Aloha Prophecy Update. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. shares the current events and how they relate to the end-time prophecies described in the Bible. 
The purpose behind these updates is to take a practical look at the end times and how events occurring around the world coincide with biblical prophecy. Pastor J.D. hopes the information he provides stirs in us an urgency to share the gospel and make sure all have heard the good news of Jesus before he returns to judge the world. There's much to learn each week, and Pastor J.D. does a great job of getting us the information we need. You can find new and previous updates by going to our YouTube channel. Just search the Aloha Prophecy Update on YouTube. We hope today's message has touched your life and left you craving more from the Word of God. Join Pastor J.D. next time for another in-depth look at the book of 2 Corinthians, right here on In Spirit and Truth.